the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When we do what is right, that's what pleases the Lord. And he's the one, again, that holds everything in his hands. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. Hey, we're picking up again in the study. This is part two. Well, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 23, and I entitled this message, Faith Lived Out. You know, as Christians, God wants us to not be religious. He wants us to be real. He wants us to be genuine. He wants us to be honest and upright. Are we not all sick and tired of all the political corruption that surrounds us? I mean, people are looking for something that's real around us, something that's honest. And we as Christians, guess what? We have found it. It's in Jesus. We have found the hope from heaven. It's the Lord God. He came to this earth. He died on the cross for us. And we are called to pass it on, to pass it on. Verse 8 says, don't take a bribe. Don't pervert justice. Don't just not tell the truth to help somebody else because they're going to pay you off. Like, that's what's wrong with all the politicians in this country. They, they get bribes and they vote for things that they shouldn't vote for. You know, they get the vote in there because they're getting bribed somehow, some way. God knows all the details, and he doesn't want you to do that. Maybe, just maybe, listen, when you do what's right, when you do what's honest, when you do what's, what's right before the Lord, it will cost you at times. But God's the one that holds the purse strings. God is the one that has the final say in everything. Yes, when we do what is right, that's what pleases the Lord. And he's the one, again, that holds everything in his hands, not just for a temporary raise or what have you, but for the rest of our life on earth, and more importantly, for all eternity in heaven. You know, verse 9 says that God tells his chosen people not to oppress strangers, those that we don't know, for they were strangers in Egypt. The children of Israel were strangers in Egypt, and they know how it felt to be mistreated. So basically what he's saying is, have you ever been stabbed in the back? Hafum. You ever been thrown under the bus? You know how that feels? Doesn't feel good, does it? So what he's saying is, don't stab anyone in the back and don't throw them under the bus. Because you know how it feels. Don't mistreat others in the same way you've been mistreated. Don't do that. Which brings up our point, when to rest. Now he shifts gears. He's going in another direction now. Verse 10 says, now you shall sow your land for six years. Meaning you shall plant your crops in your land, you know, and gather its yield. But on the seventh year, you shall let the land rest and lay barren so that the needy or your people may eat and whatever they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. So it's saying in that seventh year, 
you know, maybe some stuff's going to grow up or whatever. Well, anyone can come in and eat of all that. So verse 12, he says, six days you are to work. Now it's just from your vineyard, your field to your own life. Six days you are to do work, but on the seventh day you shall cease from your labor so that your ox and your donkey may rest and the son of your female slave, as well as your stranger may refresh themselves. Now concerning everything which I have said to you, be on your guard and do not mention the name of other gods, nor let them be heard from your mouth. Verse 14, three times a year, you're going to celebrate a feast to me. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. You are to eat unleavened bread as I commanded you. And at the appointed time in the month of the Abib, for in you came out of Egypt and none shall appear before me empty handed. Verse 16. Also, you shall observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits and your labors from what you sow in the field. And also the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in the fruit of your labor from the field. Verse 17, these times a year, all, you know, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord, your God, and you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor is the fat of my feast to remain overnight until morning. You shall bring the choice first fruits, your soil into the house of the Lord, your God, and you are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. I'm glad that you got to hear that today, okay, in case you were tempted on doing that. All right. Well, anyway, that's a lot to take in, a lot of text there, but let's pull it apart here. Verse 10 says, plant your fields for six years, and then on the seventh year, don't plant your fields. Let it just sit there. Let the land just sit there and do nothing so that the soil can be revitalized. Now, this was kind of a unique thing to Israel But God also confirmed it in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 1 to 7. That's what they were supposed to do. And as it states in verse 11, if there is any natural growth in that seventh year, anyone that's needy can come by and just take what they want. Just eat for free along with their animals grazing. But now God takes the principle of rest that he just gave for the earth. Now he brings it to you and me personally. As he reaffirms what he had already established in Genesis after God created the heavens and the earth and all that's in them in six days, it said that God rested on the seventh day. Now, God ceased from his labor. We looked at in uh, Exodus chapter 20 uh, in the commandments, you know, the fourth commandment that we should keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So the Sabbath means to cease from work. But not just the Israelites were to cease from work. Everybody was to cease from work. All your slaves, your animals, your oxes, your donkeys, your horses, everything that works was to cease from work for one day a week. And we're also to do the same. We need a Sabbath day's rest to where we rest. Rest is important. It's important for us physically and mentally. Yet many today want to rest more than they work. (laughs) In fact, we want all rest, okay? But that's not good either. For too much rest causes us to have idle time. And idle time, many times, is not your friend. It'll lead you to sin. We're told in Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the sluggard puts him to death and his hands refuse to work. 
We have an unbelievable problem with homelessness here in LA. We have poured not millions, but billions of dollars into the homeless. Is it fixing the problem? No. Homelessness in LA is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and we keep dumping more and more money on it. Why isn't it working? Because it's contrary to the Word of God. The Word of God says, if a man who is willing to work will not work, he should not eat. See, that breaks a man. It's like, oh, no, we're not going to feed you. We're not going to let you get in a food line. We're not going to sit there and give you a check every month. No, none of that. You're willing to work. You're able to work, and you're not going to work. Now, this is not talking about someone that has a handicap or whatever. We're talking about those who are willing to work. It's like, then, therefore, you're getting nothing from us. How about that? A big fat zero. And then that's what causes people to get back to work. Why? Because, oh, you want to eat? Well, then that's what you got to do. See, so man, everything that man touches and does it opposite of what God says, a problem gets worse because they're not doing what God has told us. But he says this to the hard worker in Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. He says, a skilled man in his work will stand before kings. God will honor the hard worker. God blesses hard work. But again, we still need rest though. And notice what God said at the end of verse 12, that we would be refreshed when we have that Sabbath rest. In the original language, that word refresh, it means to restore strength. It means to recover and to breathe freely. I remember when I was first hired at Harvest, I went on staff and it was just such a blessing because the Lord had shared with me 17 years earlier that I would be a pastor one day at Harvest. And I remember the night when Pastor Greg Glory came up and asked me to come on staff as one of his pastors. He says, hey, I wanna hire you. I'm like, really? For what? And he goes, didn't you look at our bulletin this week? I go, no. And he goes, yes, we need another janitor at the church here. I'm like, oh. He goes, no, just kidding. I want you to come on staff as one of my associate pastors. I'm like, oh my goodness. I remember going home that night and waking my wife up. She had fallen asleep on the couch. I'm like, honey, it happened. It's like, you know, and it was such a joy. And I remember after a couple of weeks, I got my first paycheck and I looked at it. And it was a thousand dollars. And I realized I was going to be making $2,000 a month. We got paid every other week. And I'm, I was like looking at the check. Is there, is there anything else? <laughs> it's like my house payment at the time was 1800 a month. So I told my wife, like, look, we got 200 bucks left over. So we can, we can feed our four kids, nothing that uh, we can't buy. <laughs> we can't pay our electric bill, which was running about 400 a month. <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, I don't know how this is going to work. So I had to put on my working tools again. And I went back to laying floors again. I got my old tools out. I had used for like, I don't know, 10 years at that time and got my tools out. And I started going out laying floors again uh, on the two days off that I had. So I had, I worked five days at harvest and I had Tuesdays and Saturdays off. Every Tuesday and Saturday, I worked anywhere from eight, 10, 12 hours a day to make enough money to pay our bills. And so I remember after about six months of that, I was just completely cooked. I was just burned out. I wasn't seeing my family. I wasn't seeing my wife. I wasn't seeing my kids. And I remember I went into harvest and I quit. I just said, I, I quit. You know, and they're like, what? And I'm like, I, I, I can't do this anymore. And the Lord was blessing the work at harvest. I had become the youth pastor. Our youth ministry was exploding. And, but I'm just like, I, I don't see my wife. I go, someone came into me as a pastor here and told me what I'm doing. I, I would say something has to change. And so I'm like, I can't keep doing this in surviving. And so they said, well, don't quit. 
And they ended up giving me, I think, a $300 a month raise, which wasn't a whole bunch. But at the same time, I was refinancing our house, and our house payment went down 300 bucks. So it was kind of like a $600 swap. And I realized, okay, well, I don't have to work seven days a week now. I just have to work six days a week. So I still continue laying floors for quite some time. But I didn't have to work that seventh day. And it's like, boy, getting back that one day of rest where I could spend it with my family, it was such a blessing. Yes, God doesn't want you or me to burn out. In verse 13, God wants the people to not to speak to other gods. He switched gears again. So since there are no other gods, right? You know, it's like there is no other gods. I mean, if people are worshiping some cow or moose or monkey or rock or whatever, and some supernatural thing happens, it's not that God that whatever they thing is that they think they're worshiping. That's just Satan moving in the supernatural there. And so it's just Satan. There is no other gods. But coming out of Egypt, they were surrounded with idol worship. So God continues to warn the people here. And he says, hey, don't worship any other gods. Now, these people are eventually, they're going to end up worshiping idols. And we're going to see it in our text in Exodus as we go farther along. And it just goes to prove to all of us, don't ever say never, because the people say, no, we're never going to do this. And then they ended up doing it. So don't ever say never, just say, Lord, help me today. We're to live one day at a time and let me serve you faithfully today. But now in verse 16, verse 14 to 16, they're reminded about three main feasts that they're to celebrate every year. The first was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This was a Passover feast. This was to remind them how God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. You remember what happened? Remember the 10th curse that was going to happen on the Egyptians because Pharaoh wouldn't let the people out of Egypt? You know, we looked at all of this in detail in our earlier studies in Exodus. And he kept saying, no, you can't go. And then finally, God just broke his back and said, I'm going to send the angel of death into Egypt. And the firstborn of everyone is going to die. The firstborn of every single family is going to die. And God told his children, now, if you don't want your firstborn to die, then you have a sacrifice, take the blood of the lamb and put it up and over your doorpost and the lintel, the header beam of your door. And when the angel of death comes through to take the life of the firstborn, it'll see the blood, it'll pass up and over your house. That's the Passover. The second feast was the feast of the harvest. This happened right after the Passover to celebrate the first fruits coming out of the ground of the seeds that they had sown. The third feast was a feast of ingathering. This was at the end of the harvest season to celebrate all that God had provided through the ground. Now notice verse 17, all the men must appear, it says. This must have been a constant reminder to men that there must be unity in men. There must be a oneness and a common bond in men. I like what it says in Proverbs 27, 17. It says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You know, and it's so important for us men to be able to have other men that we can cling to. Okay, see, you know, us men, we're not like women, okay? We don't have to go out to a restaurant and sit with other guys. You know, women will say, do you want to go powder your nose? You know, and women will go to the bathroom together. You know, us men don't do that. It's just a little weird. They're like, hey, bro, you want to go to the bathroom with me? Uh, no, okay? I mean, us men don't do that kind of stuff, okay? So we don't need that kind of thing. But what we do need is we need other brothers. Why? Because iron sharpens iron. And what men need is not 200 really good best friends, but men need a two or three men that they can lean on. Like, hey, bro, man, let me text you. Hey, bro, can you pray for me today? 
My boss just chewed me out, and I want to rip his juggler vein out. So can you pray for me? Yes. Okay, see, men need that. That's how men talk with each other. It's like, bro, you got to help me, man. It's like, man, pray for me this morning. Hey, I'm struggling with this area of sin right now. Can you, can you just, you know, can you pray for me? It's like, yes. You see, men need other men. Iron sharpens iron. Men need that accountability to each other. Verse 19 says, don't come empty-handed. When you come to the Lord on these different festivals, you bring the tithe and offering to the Lord. Don't come empty-handed. And we should always bring that. And God makes that as a first priority. Always bring the offering in. I remember when I first became a Christian. You know, I didn't understand the whole thing about giving to the Lord. You know, okay, you take the offering. Okay, why are we giving money here again, you know? And I just, I didn't understand it. So I throw five bucks in, I throw 10 bucks in. And then, and then you realize, like, wait a second, there's a principle here. And what's the principle? The principle is you, you bring the tithe to the Lord. Well, how much is that? Like, what, how, how much do you give the Lord? Well, the tithe is 10% of your income. I remember when my sister was born. I was eight years old. And, you know, we were the heathen family. We were pagans, okay? Now, I grew up in the 60s. You have to remember, in the 60s, almost everyone went to church. That doesn't mean that they were all Christians. doesn't mean they were all good people. I'm just, it was just a kind of a standard thing in America. Most people went to church. And, uh, but we didn't. We were the heathen family, okay? And so I remember when my sister was born, you know, my parents had been going through a really tough time. They were arguing all the time. But when my mom got pregnant with my sister, and when she was born, it's like it rejuvenated their marriage. It kind of just made everything new again. It was a good time in my house when my sister was born. So my parents decided, hey, you know, we need to get right with God or whatever, okay? So I remember we went to church. So we went to this church a couple times in Rancho Cucamonga. It was just Cucamonga back then before it was Rancho Cucamonga. But anyway, but, uh, you know, I, I guess, hey, we all feel better now. It's Rancho, you know, but uh, whatever. So we go up to this church, and so we, where they, we go a couple Sundays. Well, I guess they filled out a card. They got contacted. The priest is coming to the house. He wants to you know, introduce himself to the new family coming to the church. I remember my mom was vacuuming that. She's dusting the furniture. The priest is coming over. I mean, it was like a big deal. And I'm just, I'm eight years old, but I'm watching all this going on, you know? So I'm thinking, okay, this is a big deal. The guy's coming to our house. So he walks in the house and I mean, he's not there more than 90 seconds. I mean, it's before the two minute dinger went off. Okay. And he asked my dad, can I see your paycheck? My dad's like, my paycheck for what? He goes, cause you got to give 10% to God. And it's just like, and my dad's like, what do you mean I got to give 10%? Of you? Well, that's what you got to give. And then he started getting in this little argument. My dad just showed him the door. Don't let you, don't let it hit you on the rear on the way out. It's like, you're out of my house. I mean, it's like, we never went back to church again. I remember the door closes. My dad's like, we don't need to go to church. You know, we don't need, I can worship God anywhere. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. We can worship God anywhere. It's like, I didn't know what I was talking about. But I just wonder, like, we never went back to that church. We never went to church again. And eight years later, my parents got divorced. And they both left. And I'm just thinking like, all because some guy's trying to force them to give money to the church. Like, that should never be. Listen, it is a joy to give to the Lord. It's a joy, okay? And if you don't get it yet and you're not there yet, don't worry about it. You keep coming. You keep allowing God to minister to you. But understand, he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he says, he who sows sparingly to the Lord, you give little to the Lord, then God will bless you sparingly. But if you give bountifully to the Lord, then the Lord will give you bountifully back. He says, let each man or each woman do as they have purpose in their heart, not grudgingly. Don't sit there like, huh, huh, I don't, no, don't do that. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. 
And all I can say is this. People say, well, I can't afford the tithe. Man, our bills are too much. Inflation's out of control. All I can say is this. And I'm not trying to say this as the pastor of this church. I'm just saying it as a believer. It's like you can't afford not to tithe. Because when you give to the Lord, he says, you will never be without. Never. Okay. And me and my wife, way before I went into the ministry, way before that, we started tithing about three months into our marriage. So we've been tithing for almost 43 years because we just celebrated our 43rd anniversary. So we've been selling, you know, all those years. So, you know, all I'm saying is like, you know, look, pray about it, you know, but man, don't let that be ever a stumbling block here. You know, you want to give, give. If you don't, don't give, you know, but just know God wants to bless you. And let's not forget verse 19. Never, ever boil a goat in its mother's milk, okay? Now, I know some of you are struggling with that, and this isn't a confessional, but listen, you're forgiven if you were thinking it. No, just kidding. But he puts it in there because why? He doesn't want them to do anything. That was a pagan Canaanite ritual, and he didn't want them to do it. So what can we learn from that? Don't do anything that this world does that's wrong. Just don't do it. Don't even let it happen. Which brings up our final point, divine protection. Let's read what he says here in verse 20. He says, behold, I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way, to bring you into the place which I have purposed. Be on your guard before him, who? The angel, and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious towards him, for he will not pardon your transgressions since my name is in him. Oh, verse 22. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then he says, I will be an enemy to your enemies. I'll be an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, I guess all the otherites out there. And I will completely destroy them, verse 24. And you shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds. But you shall utterly overthrow them and break their sacred pillars in pieces. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will remove the sickness from your midst, and there shall be no miscarrying with the women or barrenness in your land. And I will fulfill the number of your days. Verse 27, and I will send my terror ahead of you, and I will throw into confusion all the people among you that come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out the Hittites and the and the Canaanites and the Hittites before you. Uh, verse 29, I will not drive them out before you in a single year that the land may not become desolate, okay, because there's all these people. So he goes, I'm going to do it little by little, he says there, and you become fruitful and you will take possession of the land. Verse 31, I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness to the river Euphrates. And I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you will drive them out before you. And you shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. And they shall not live in your land because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Okay, that's a mega lot of text there, but oh my goodness, did you see all of those promises in there? God made so many promises there. He said in verse 20 that he would bring them into the place that he's prepared for them. This is the promised land that he's promised them. Verse 22 said, I will be an enemy to your enemies. How about that? 
People that come against you, God says, I will be against everyone who comes against you, an adversary to your adversaries. How good does that sound? Because we all got enemies. Verse 25, God will bless your bread and your water. He'll bless everything that comes into your household. He will remove any sickness. Verse 26, the women will not be barren or miscarry. You know, you guys are going to multiply. I will send terror ahead of you. Yes, God placed fear in all the people. Verse 28, he'll send hornets to chase them out. God will give them all the animals that are in the land. Imagine. You got to remember who he's promising all this to. This is his children that came out that were slaves. They were all born in slavery. They just came out of Egypt. They had nothing to their own. And it's like now God's like, I'm going to pour it upon you and just keep pouring blessing upon blessing to you. Again, in verse 30, they will take possession of the land. Verse 31, God says, I will deliver the people of this land into your hand. Yes, God's promises are big. God's promises are full. His promises are for us, his children. But they're all contingent. On obedience. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Core Truth is sponsored by and is a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA all one word to 77977. You can also get VR app and online at corechurchla.org. Or you can mail your support to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.